Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Now's the time to save 30% on wedding jewelry. Only on BlueNile.com. Make sure your wedding ring is the one with your pick of diamond and lab-grown diamond bands. All hand-finished and graded for excellence. Or surprise her with something blue she'll love for life, like a stunning pair of sapphire earrings. Blue Nile's jewelry experts are available 24-7 to help, from fit questions to style advice. Right now, get up to 30% off at BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. So hello there guys and welcome back to a brand new episode of the DNF1 F1 podcast. I hope that you guys are well, I hope that you're doing safe and everything is good wherever you are listening or watching this around the world. I hope that you also had a great Easter break, of course we're recording this the week before the Easter bank holiday so uh, some of the stuff that we might say may be not as relevant or there might be some updates but I'm sure it's going to be a great discussion nonetheless and for this episode... I wanted to talk about a story that some of you may have kept your eye on, but I think it's one that's going to progress and get more interesting as the season goes on and obviously probably hidden under the realms of everything else going on in F1 making the headlines. And that is the developing rivalry between Sir Lewis Hamilton and George Russell. And of course, what that means for the Mercedes team and what it means for both drivers going forward. Introducing my guest onto this show, we have F1 journalist Ben Hunt. And Ben, you wrote a fantastic article sort of highlighting this developing story right now. So I'm really looking yeah. forward to talking with you. And, you know, first things first, of course, we've got to check in. How how are things with you, of course? Yeah, all good, thank you. Yeah, uh, been a busy couple of weeks, hasn't it? It's been a strange start to the season, almost stop start with the, with the gaps in between. And, of course, we've now got this gap in between... Um, Australia uh, and Azerbaijan and it feels like forever um, but it is very lopsided I always keep mentioning this to, to people you know I'm like a broken record but uh, look at the end of the season we've got what five races in six weeks and that's properly scary so um, I'm enjoying the downtime I'm enjoying being at home um, but yeah it's, it's it's got off to a strange start hasn't it we're talking about other things around subject we haven't had a great race yet so uh let's get stuck into the politics exactly i mean we had a lot of crazy action happen towards the end of the australian grand prix of all the red flags and the safety cars and this new precedent i suppose that f1 and the fia are trying to set in terms of how to finish races end in this certain mm-hmm. manner i get they're trying something 
I was a little bit confused about how it all went down. I'm sure a lot of teams and fans were too. I think something needs to be communicated going forward. But overall, I can't complain at the idea of them wanting to finish a race without having to resort to using the safety car. Eventually, that's what happened. But of course, you know, that's another discussion for another day. And I'm sure you have plenty to say on that. Um, Of course, Ben, I think first thing we have to start, since you last joined us on the show... Yep. You've started your own F1 podcast with your colleague, Beck Clancy. Um, yep. Unless I'm mistaken, Inside the Piranha Club, it's called. Yes, um, very interesting name. Um, yep. Can yep. you tell us a little yeah, bit uh, about that for? It's uh, The name comes from, um, do you remember Bri- Briatore, Flavio Briatore? And uh, he, he mentioned to another team boss at a meeting, and it was um, sort of, well, welcome to the Piranha Club. That's what oh, F1 is yes. like. Yes. And so, um, you know, the cut, cutthroat business of Formula One. And the idea is um, that myself and Beck are able to provide insight, you know, behind the scenes, if you like. Um, you know, we, we were actually at the races and we just thought it was a good idea just to, to get a podcast off the ground. So um, we've enjoyed doing it. It's been very well received. And if anyone wants to check it out, you know, go and do it and let me know what you think. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I've got to ask, how does it feel to be on the other side of the podcast and booth being the person asking the questions? I mean, it's more cut and, and dry with your yeah. day job, I suppose. But Yeah, uh, that's right. Yeah. It's kind of more suited to, to what we what we do on a day, day-to-day basis. Um, the difference being is that we don't have any bosses or any word targets or, you know, no constraints, shall we say. So we're able to call it how we see it. We're able to inject more of our own thoughts and, and, and opinions and obviously it'd be a little bit maybe more controversial than perhaps we would in print um so yeah it's super fun I'm really really enjoying it well I've listened to your first couple of episodes I've really enjoyed it and I suppose all that I can really say to those of our uh, loads of my followers that want to check out your content is if you want to get the insight of a couple of top level F1 journalists without any editorial guidelines so you know can cut through <laughs> all the fat and just get straight to the content definitely check out the Inside the Prana Club podcast with Beck Clancy and of course Ben Hunt. Ben of course I've got to ask where can our followers find your podcast if they They're, are unsure yet? It's it's everywhere uh, wherever people get their podcasts from um, you know we're, we're there if you if you search for us you'll find us um, but yeah please please do please please check it out um, if you can't find it there then check across our we've got an Instagram account we've got a TikTok account um, but also we're plugging it on our own Twitters as well. So you should be able to find it. Yeah, brilliant stuff. And of course, we'll plug that in the show notes and in the description as well. For those of you watching this Thank on you. YouTube or listening to your favorite pod platform, don't forget, of course, to subscribe to this channel and also like the video and of course, support us on your favorite pod platform as well as we always appreciate every single one of you getting in touch and supporting us. Much, much appreciated. Now, of course, Ben, we've got a break down and discuss the talking point for this particular episode and that is the battle and the developing situation between George Russell and Sir Lewis Hamilton arguably F1's strongest driver pairing and up to a point last season a lot of us would have pretty much said that the relationship between the two wasn't necessarily strained everything seemed to be okay despite the difficult season that Mercedes were having but over the course of last season, there were one or two signs that this ongoing rivalry might develop and that perhaps the balance of power at Mercedes may shift away from Sir Lewis Hamilton and perhaps closer to George Russell over the course of the next few years, providing, of course, that George Russell keeps up his level of performance. Now, before we get into what's happening in 2023, 
Yep. Um, let's talk about George Russell's performance in 2022. Um, got his maiden pole in Hungary, maiden race win in Brazil, which included the sprint race as well. Finished P4 in the standings, 35 points ahead of Sir Lewis Hamilton, although there were plenty of caveats to that. And no surprise to many, the quality gap in terms of time difference was the smallest between the two compared to any other team on the grid, with, of course, Sir Lewis just edging, I think, a few hundreds ahead of George. Overall, that paints a picture to a very impressive debut season with Mercedes for George Russell. Yeah. In your opinion, how did you think George Russell fared compared to his teammate last season? Yeah, 100%. Um, I think there was a number of factors that, that contributed to George being a, a success. I think, first off, we obviously have to admit that he's a talent. You know, he's, he's definitely got the ability. He's got the skill. You know, he, he's won so much before. We, we, we know that he's good. The time at Williams obviously allowed him to sort of go under the radar, if you like, and, and sort of start learning about F1, what it was required to not only drive for an F1 team, but also lead that team as well. And I don't think that is a disrespect to Nicholas Satithi, but um, we definitely saw George drive that Williams team forward. Um, you know, he's, he wasn't afraid to, to to voice his opinions and help with the direction of the car. And I think that's put him in good stead for future role as Mercedes number one, if you like. Um I think that in terms of George's character, uh, there was no doubt about that he had the you know confidence. You know he obviously put his name forward to become uh, director of the GPDA, the Grand Prix Drivers Association, which kind of broads all the brings all the drivers together and bodes them together in in terms of the decision making and progress. And that's quite a big responsible job. Um, but also it shows you his level of confidence. And if you didn't know George was a confident guy, those sort of things that that sort of action would obviously highlight just how he felt that he could represent the drivers as a body, despite only being F1 for a relatively short time. It, you know, majority, I would assume, have got to F1 and thought, that's not really my responsibility. That's someone for the older driver. That's the sort of Lewis role or Fernando. That's that's where they should be. Um, but no, he's taken that on. So it shows you that he has got that inner self-confidence, in you know, within him, which is great. Um I think that the fact that he was part of the Mercedes Young Junior, you know, Young Driver Program, Junior Program, whichever you want to call it, that obviously allowed him to get up to speed quickly with the team. So while he was making his debut for Mercedes, uh, if you excuse the uh, uh, the uh, uh, Sakir Grand Prix, um, you know, when he it was Sakir, wasn't it? When he or was it? Yeah, it was because um, he it stepped was Sakir, in for he Lewis. Yeah. So uh, yes, so when he filled in for that one race, but. Um, you know, he was well up to speed. You know, he knew all the engineers. He knew what he was dealing with. He'd been driving the car on the simulator. So it wasn't quite the alien experience that perhaps we see some other drivers go through. You know, when you're propelled to the big teams, it can be a little bit like rabbit in the headlights, whereas obviously George was well-versed. It wasn't as alien to him. The other factor, of course, we need to remember is last year that car was an absolute dog. Um, and so we all knew that from an early point. The sun is fantastic, isn't it? Look at this going on. <laughs> well, I mean, we're um, getting all the different levels of brightness. If you're watching yeah, this on YouTube, know, it looks um, like Ben's going through some sort of divine experience at the moment know, whilst yeah. he's talking about George have, Russell. <laughs> pull that curtain in a minute. But uh, no, um, where was I? Oh, yeah, of course, the car was a dog. So it um, it covered a lot of uh, the issues. You know, they had the teething problems as teammates. Um, and we just saw George delivering and we were like, wow, OK, you know, this is this is pretty good. He gets the win, um, you know, in the poll and you mentioned uh, the sprint race as well. So everything was 
all going along quite swimmingly, but we were all distracted with the porpoising and everything else. And we just thought that Lewis played this, I put it in, in my column, it was like a sacrificial lamb sort of role where he was trying all these different setup types, whereas George was benefiting from that and able to reap the rewards. But comes into 2023 and it's slightly, slightly different, isn't it? He's had that year under his belt. He's got that win under his belt. And maybe it wasn't that Lewis was playing that sacrificial role altogether in the fact that George is probably out, you know, potentially outscoring him. You know, it's now 3-0 in qualifying if we're looking at, you know, pace um, after the first three races this year. So quite interesting. And I think that the dynamic between the two of them is changing. Um, you know, I think Lewis is aware you know, that George is the, the next bright thing coming through the door. And when you're a seasoned pro, you, you've got to be looking over your shoulder at what's coming. Uh, George has got a long-term deal. Lewis has only got well, end of the end year. End of the season, you know? yeah. So I think it's only inevitable that there will be some change in that relationship where George has become more confident. He knows he's the, the future of the team, you know, the team. And Lewis is for the first time in his career, the older statesman and the guy that's kind of under pressure, under threat, because we don't know if he's going to be kept on. We don't know if they're going to agree. They keep saying they are, but until that deal's done, we just don't know, do we? So uh, it's a it's it's an un, unusual position for Lewis to be in, the fact that uh, he's got someone alongside him who is taking the fight to him. He's usually the other way around. Lewis obviously had Fernando. Then when he went to Mercedes, he took it to Rosberg. Bottas came to Mercedes, never really took the fight to Lewis. But now we're seeing George take the fight to Lewis. And it's interesting to see how that relationship and how Lewis responds. So, yeah, it's great. I mean, it's good for Formula One. It's just what we need. Um, some sort of rivalry between those two two drivers because it gives us something else to, to dig into and to look at because out in front, Max is winning, isn't he? So uh, and, and looking, looking, looking like he's going to be three-time world champion at the end of this year. Yeah, I certainly wouldn't bet against that right now, um, especially especially after the performance in Australia. It looked like even when he made a few mistakes, the guy was still in a league of his own. But that's just... Yeah, that, I yeah. mean, it was interesting, wasn't it? When he got past Lewis, I think he made... Was it two seconds on half a lap? Something ridiculous like yeah. we've never seen before. Although, I mean, to be fair, I, I was watching... Uh, I think it was on F1 Multiview. I was sort of watching the Delta on that. And I think whilst two seconds is incredibly impressive, there were a lot mm. of caveats at play. I mean... Lewis obviously was talking on the radio and they told him to let Max go. There's no point racing because he's in a different no. league right now. Max um, obviously put out fastest lap. I think Lewis was 1.3 seconds slower than Fernando on that very lap. And when Lewis right. was overtaken, he wasn't compromised in terms of his corner entry. So he'd mm. obviously turned the battery down, saved it because he knew he'd have Alonso to deal with. So, right. yeah, you know, it, when, when you sort of work it all out, it, it was still around about seven, eight temps, I think, in Max's favour. But even then, that's still massively impressive. Mm. And mm. Um, obviously that Red Bull DRS is in a different league right now to everyone else's. But that's another discussion for yep. another day. Talking about uh, George Russell... You know, based on what you've said there, Ben, there's a lot to unpick from all of that. And I think one thing that people probably may not be aware of and perhaps need to get on board with is the fact that George Russell is not exactly your average rookie in a team like Mercedes. You know, as you said, he's been with the team since his junior days. He's very well versed in a lot of testing runs with Mercedes. He did so many over the last few years, even when he was at Williams. He had that out and insecure in 2020, which was massively impressive and he should have won on that day if it weren't for safety car issues and, and pit stop errors from Mercedes, uncharacteristic of them, he would have won on that day. Yeah. And when he joined the Mercedes team last season, 
you know, having the uh, the maturity and the wisdom beyond his years that we often associate with George Russell, having that extra mental capacity to do certain things that your average driver wouldn't be able to do with the pace to boot, uh, you know, mind you, in that, in that regard. And on top of all of that, it was a year that because Mercedes were having their struggles, and as you mentioned, Sir Lewis being the sacrificial lamb or the guinea pig mm. in some people's eyes, he had to do a lot of testing with the poor pursuit issues up to a point where Mercedes could develop the car where Lewis was finally able to compete for race wins and put together the performances we normally associate with him. All the while, George Russell was consistently banging in P5s, P4s, the odd podium here or there, pole position in Hungary, um, the win in Brazil. He was doing that and building an increased uh, or more improved rapport with a team that he was gaining confidence with. If you called this his apprenticeship, I don't think it could have gone much any better. And then you fast forward to 2023, it feels right now, after that learning process he's gone through, he's found where he's found confidence in where he needs to set this team. Now it seems that George Russell is starting to set boundaries. He's starting to push those with the team. He seems to know, uh, after he's established himself there, what he needs to do to try and get the most from this team right now. And it's showing early this season. Yeah, exactly that. Um, you know, he, he's not afraid to to speak his mind. And that's actually what Mercedes want, isn't it, from a, from a driver. That's what they need from a, a guy who's going to be you know, let's let's just say it. You know, he will be leading that team when Lewis eventually stops. You know, George will still be there. So, um, you know, that's exactly what they need. It's just watching that relationship play out. And obviously, they've still got to deliver for the team. At the moment, it's fairly harmonious, but there is uh, a change in language. I think with with George, and and also he's not afraid now to answer back. Whereas before, he may have felt a little bit. Um, um, you know, in Lewis's shadow, I think he now sees himself as a, as an equal. You know, they're, they're totally level playing field. You know, he beat him last year in terms of race wins, and, and you mentioned obviously in the, in the championship. And he's coming to this year thinking, actually, you know, maybe I can beat him again. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night, ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse, carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see, we could not, but she did. And in the end, what will I become? Senwa Saga, Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I think that's a good place to start with where cracks might be forming. Because people that are obviously listening to this show may not have paid attention over the, so far this season to what's been going on. I mean, first few races, George Russell has outqualified uh, out Lewis in all three races. Granted, mm. Lewis is 20 points ahead of Russell in the championship, but I think we can put a lot of that down to George's unforeseen retirement in Australia, yeah. where George Russell himself claimed that he was on the right strategy to challenge for the race win. Realistically, I don't think that was possible because of our quick no. match but I can understand that given how Sainz was able to get up there, despite being on the same strategy as Russell, you'd have thought Russell could have at least got a P2, which is where Lewis ultimately finished. So you can understand the logic in that. But in particular, you mentioned the language that's changed between mm. not just George Russell, but Sir Lewis Hamilton as well. Some of the things that he said, which I'm sure we'll get onto in a moment, but what particular things has George Russell been saying for the benefit of those that haven't paid attention to this, that suggest to you that there are starting to be some cracks forming and that George Russell is now starting to assert himself in a position where he wants that um, supremacy, if you like in the team. Yeah. I mean, the, the, the one for me was um, that uh, got me thinking first off was when, 
Lewis had hinted that George may have got lucky with uh, setup um, in a in a race, and and I think that uh, Lewis said it was something like fifty fifty. We either go one way or another, and then George was asked about that, and rather than just saying yes or you know party line, um, it was no, absolutely wrong. You know, I I didn't get lucky. Um, I went in a particular area because I thought that this was going to work and and Lewis went in another area which I didn't think was going to work so that's kind of him being ballsy if you like you know standing up and saying you know I made the right decision and he got it wrong which uh I thought okay that's that's kind of brave of you um and then during the race in Australia um you know he had a, he had an instruction over the radio and we heard the second part which was you know you're you're telling me to manage look after the tires but I I'm being attacked by my teammate and I thought the very nature of him being attacked by Lewis was was interesting, not in the sense that Lewis was the aggressor, but the fact that George felt um, aggrieved so much that he, he he wanted to use those words to the team to tell them to, you know, tell Lewis to back off. So I thought that was just telling, you know, the fact is that he's using language, which is kind of um, not aggressive, but certainly firm. Um, and, and he's leaving his team in no doubt as to, what position he sees himself, which is obviously as the lead driver. Yeah, and he and he wasn't exactly talking from the perspective of let's do what's best for the team here. You know, let's not yeah. try and get caught into any silly politics or who has control over what and such and such. You know, he was very much, as you rightly put, invested in the idea that look, you know, uh, I th- I think to expand on the comments that you, that um, Lewis had said about the setup and George was saying that there's no luck in it at all. He mentioned specifically that it was down to the preparation. Yeah, that's for right. the event. And I think that's, that's yeah. quite telling because in the past, Sir Lewis Hamilton has been very well known as someone that does not like to do the prep. Uh, he doesn't like yeah. to do many sim work. He did a lot of it last yeah. year to help with those issues, and that was understandable. Um, mm. And it did bear some fruit in terms of performance. But historically, he's never been one to want to do much testing. He's naturally that's, gifted. He's yeah, that's, to do that, that's so. true. That mm. is true. But I, I'm not too sure this year just how much Lewis has done going into races. I know mm. he's doing more this year. He's definitely doing more sim work. So um, I the reason I didn't necessarily pick up, up on that point, um, but you are right to make that, that, that point, the fact that Lewis used to just turn up and get in the car. I mean, I remember Singapore when he went to like, you know, he was flying all over the place. Yeah. Um, he went to about 25 different countries. There was fashion week in, in New York and then flew back and then turned up in Singapore. And everyone's like, there's no way that he's going to be able to drive the car. And then obviously put in one of the best laps of all time during qualifying um, for the Singapore Grand Prix. And we were like, wow, you know, that's unbelievable. But um, I guess what, yeah, what I'm trying to say in a long winded way is that I understand where George is coming from, but I just don't necessarily know if I believe that because I do believe that Lewis is working probably harder than he ever has done before in terms of his pre-race preparation. Yeah, um, I can agree with that. Um, I mean, uh, the logic for my for my sort of rationale on this is that, uh, in addition to this, Lewis is one of those drivers that has this amazing ability to never really get on top of the car the first lap he goes out on the pits on track, particularly in qualifying. Yeah. And I think this is a good barometer to measure the two, where George Russell is incredibly good at getting that fast lap straight away. You know, first out the box, doesn't have to worry about calibrating himself or getting used to it. He's quick straight away. Lewis yeah. has never really been that way. But amazingly, and I think he proved this at Melbourne as well, is that he never really looked on the pace for most of qualifying. Then when Q3 mm. comes around, when it matters most, bam, he puts it on the front row. Of course, George did pip him just about, but mm-hmm. 
Lewis is so good at doing that when it matters most. And I think sometimes you have to give him credit in the fact that, you know, if he's so good at finding the pace when he needs to, does he really need to do the prep work? Even though he has been working very hard, mm. you can understand the argument as to, well, you know, George may think he's working harder than Lewis, but that may not necessarily be the case. Or Lewis yeah. may not have to work as hard as George, for example. Yes, yes, possibly. Um, you know, Lewis is obviously a, a, a freakish talent, isn't he? Um, and that ability just to turn it up in Q3 when he needs to is enviable. Um, it's very Senna-esque, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, but, but probably over the last couple of years, I'm talking about before Max Wing in 21, but Lewis has probably not needed to have dug so deep because he's always had the be- better of his teammate. You know, he'd always be comfortably better than, than Valtteri. Um, but as I mentioned at the start of the, the, the you know, the podcast, um, he's, he's in an unfamiliar, unfamiliar territory now in the sense that he's got George taking the fight to him and it's kind of an unknown for him. So, um, I mean, I'm loving it. I mean, I'm, I love, watching all these um, relationships play out. You know, I think at the end of last year, the Sergio Max um, scenario kind of fizzled out, but it's still there. Um, you know, the, the the talk about that deliberate crash at Monaco, I don't think we, anyone really addressed it properly because it was kind of relating to an incident which happened so, um, you know, six months earlier. It had kind of uh, lost some of the sting but I think that there's still some hangover from that between the two. And I love the needle between teammates because if they're all getting on, then something's wrong. And I think that uh, you need two teammates going at each other to drive that team forward. Yeah, absolutely. You know, if, yeah. If, if, we, if we look at the other end of the grid and you, you see something like um, Hulkenberg coming in um, and taking the fight to Magnussen, I think that's exactly what Haas wanted. I didn't expect it to happen. But of course, it means that Magnuson's now got to up his game. You know, he's forced to to dig deeper. So I totally get why they're doing it. I just think that um between Lewis and and, and George getting back to them, they're just so disciplined that I don't think that, that we're gonna see the same fallout as what we saw with with Nico and, and Lewis, where there was so much bad blood historically. And I think that Lewis is wise enough to know that you know, he's coming towards the end of his career. He doesn't want to be seen as this guy that's going to start smashing into into George. He hasn't really got that in his nature anyway. So, but it is still great to watch the, the dynamic of the two play out. Yeah, I mean, to this point, not that I can say George Russell has gotten his elbows out firmly in this battle with his teammate. But of course, you know, what we saw in Jeddah as well, when George mm-hmm. was saying that he was confused about Fernando Alonso, whether or not he'd served his penalty in regards yeah. to not wanting to let Lewis go through on better ties. And then, of course, the race panned out the way it did. And George just got away from his teammate as his harder ties were much better suited later on in the race and Lewis obviously couldn't keep up. So there yeah. was that. And then George come out and said, oh, actually, you know, I, I kind of was aware of it, but... Yeah. He kind of was alluding that he didn't want to give anything away into implying that he knew the situation and that Lewis should go past him to well, try and well, keep him well, back. The other one, the other incident with George is George and uh, Valtteri. Do you remember that? When yes. they, um, yeah. they collided. Yeah. And that was very much a George stamping his mark and saying, you know, I, I, I can beat you. I'm better than you, even though you were in a better car and I deserve to be in that car. Mm. Um, and of course... The upshot was that he he didn't admit to doing anything wrong, and you know again just building into that that narrative of George being quite quite steely. I think because he's a polite guy and because he's been at, at Williams, everyone thinks that he's you know a bit of a soft touch, but he's definitely not. 
I mean, do you think that's a concern for Mercedes in terms of the drivers seeing the bigger picture here? Because, you know, in Melbourne, you, you already mentioned this as well, and I think this is a good thing to talk about, where Russell was complaining to the team in the early stages of the race mm. that you've asked him, they've asked him to manage his pace, and now he's being attacked by his teammate when they were one and two. I mean, in that position, it's easy for us to see it because we can see all the coverage, but I was watching it with my girlfriend, and I was saying to her, look, the only chance Mercedes have got of keeping Max behind them is making sure that Russell doesn't go beyond that DRS for Lewis. The moment mm. he does that, Max will pick them off one by one. He's too quick. So they need to stay within DRS of each other. But I kind of got the impression that's what Mercedes wanted, but it didn't seem to be what George Russell wanted. And mm. I'm pretty sure Sir Lewis Hamilton would have probably felt, look, I'm just going to try and attack my teammate here. I've got the jump on Max. I can't stay behind George because Max will get me and then Max will get George. It's, that kind of dynamic where the t- what the team wants and what the drivers want are two different things right now. They're not yeah, aligning with each right. other. that's right. I mean, it's always difficult. I mean, you know, they always say and they're always reminded that it's it's team. It's about bringing the maximum points back for the team. But ultimately, when they're chasing wins and they're that far behind, you know, uh, uh, Lewis is desperate for a win. You know, what was it? Um, Saudi Arabia 2021 was his last win. That's crazy. You know, like, it's, it's mad when you say it aloud, you know, Having having seen him win so frequently, um, to then go to this spell where he's not even in contention for winning, it's quite hard to uh, even comprehend. So he's desperate to win, and he'll take every opportunity. And if it, this is where I'm getting to with this relationship. I think if it comes down to the two of them fighting at the front for a win, I think it will not only be a test to uh, their two personalities, but also for Toto on the pit wall to decide the outcome of this race. Will he interfere? Will he give that Lewis that win that he, he, he craves to, to, to end the duck? Um, or will he stick with George, future of the team? You know, that that's that's going to be the tricky scenario when that comes up. Absolutely. And I think we should stress, you know, we've been talking on this for a little while now and I'm sure one or two people listening in will make it seem like we're out in George Russell to be the bad guy in all of this. And I think we should stress that's not the case, but no, not we've, at all. Se- we've not seen at all. in the past. It's just, it's, yeah. it's just that he's he's the future, isn't he? And I think that, um, as I say, that I think that most people think that he's kind of the nice guy and, and that, that he's too nice. And I'm saying that he has got an edge, but you need that edge to be a leader of the team. So, you know, there's nothing wrong with that. What he's doing is totally right. But um, I think that just the, the preconception that people have is that, you know, George should be grateful for being in that team and should be sort of playing second fiddle. But he's definitely not going to do that. That's not his role. No, absolutely. And nor should he. I mean, we're not F1 drivers, but from what we've seen over the years is that when you have these inter-team dynamics going on, there's always a wrestle for control, a wrestle for mm. power and supremacy within a team. And, you know, more often than not, sometimes you know tempers can flare up and you know this the struggle can continue for a long time and it can be a detriment to the team but we've seen in the past with with Hamilton for example you know when he was in with Alonso in 2007 and McLaren you know Alonso was very much rubbed up the wrong way because he was sold this idea that he was going to have absolute control in this team they were going to back him unanimously and then this young hotshot comes along nearly wins the world championship in his rookie season and it upsets the entire dynamic there so Alonso moves Mm. on the same thing happened when Hamilton 
went to Mercedes with Rosberg. Okay, Hamilton was much more established by then. He was the world champion. He was the marquee signing compared to Rosberg, who had just seen off a very old and nowhere near his peak Michael Schumacher. So obviously that dynamic had to change. We've seen it in other teams as well. We see it Ferrari with Leclerc and Vettel. We've seen it with Alonso going into Alpine, where Ocon was already established there. And obviously that was a bit different. I mean, we've even seen it to a degree with Verstappen and Ricardo at Red Bull many years ago and how that changed as well. My point is, guys, is that this is normal in Formula One. Eventually, you know, Sir Lewis Hamilton was always going to be in a position, most likely, where someone was going to come along into that team and challenge his authority or challenge his position on the throne, if you like, for the future of the team. Now it seems to be happening in George Russell. I don't see any problems in what George Russell is doing right now, other than just looking out for himself. There may come to a point where it might get a bit sour, but that can be expected in these situations. Yeah, don't disagree. Yeah, that's that's where, that's where we're at. Well, I'm glad you did. That's verified my credibility <laughs> as someone that has some level of will knowledge from an expert. Um, th- so, I mean, moving on to the situation you mentioned earlier with Toto Wolf, he's had quite a lot of interesting comments to say, mostly regarding some of Sir Lewis Hamilton's comments. But what I want to ask you, Ben, is how does Toto Wolf and Mercedes handle this developing situation? Because to some degree, it's not like it's been forced on them, but they have encouraged George being able yeah. to assert himself a bit more. It's not like they've rebuffed it and said, no, you've got to play the, the team game for Lewis in the same way that Valtteri did over the years. They have encouraged this. Yeah, for sure. And I think that, um, you know, it's interesting that uh, when, I'm not saying they did it because of that, but George was obviously on the radio moaning about Lewis being too quick and then they pitted pitted George instantly, didn't they? And I thought, mm, that's a strange time, was it? Was it the fact that they were trying to avoid potential potential conflict between the two in doing so all relationships have to be managed and i and i guess this is going to be the same um they've been there they've done it they've they've overseen the um the friction between nico and lewis they've seen the harmony between valtteri and lewis as well and 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 two very uh different scenarios i think that this one's probably edging more closer to, to the nico side but let's see i think that they'll try and let it play out um you know, both drivers are always reminded about their responsibility driving for the team. And and I just don't, as I said to earlier on, I don't think either of them have got it in their nature to, to take each other out. I don't think they're, they're, they're that they're that bad. Um, you know, I, both want to win, both are keen, but I don't think that they'd go beyond the limit. I think it's quite clear that Toto has set that out and the whole relationship within the team is such that, you know, you must remember that you're driving for the team first and the driver's championship second. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it will be interesting to see how that plays out. Um, Obviously, there's been a history between uh, of recent years between um, certain disagreements, I suppose, or, you know, uh, misalignments in where they want to go between Hamilton and the team. Of course, it's no secret. Hamilton wanted Bottas to stay on as his teammate. He didn't want... I'm not saying he didn't want Russell, but he would rather have had Valtteri as his teammate. Yeah, that's right. um, So there's no secret in there. Hamilton has been quite outspoken this year regarding the concept of the car, the W14, obviously the ailments of the W13 last season. Um, and, and this was coming from a guy only a few years ago that was saying that my team don't make mistakes. And now he's mm. it, probably, yeah. you know, it's quite the opposite from what we're hearing yeah, yeah, from Lewis. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, do you think that's been, that has contributed to Mercedes's change of, um, how would I say, attitude towards how they want to treat this situation between George and Lewis? It does feel to me that, 
some of the things that Lewis has said recently haven't gone unnoticed in terms of where Mercedes want to align their priorities? Um, possibly. I think maybe it's also a case is that George is obviously a strong voice and we've got uh, Lewis is a strong voice. Perhaps they didn't have that when Valtteri was in the team. Lewis was obviously leading the direction of that team. Valtteri's feedback, you know, wasn't, it was valuable, but it wasn't on the same level as what Lewis would provide. So perhaps now that they've got these two drivers who are very vocal in trying to drive the car uh, or drive the development in a particular area, maybe that's what they're doing now. Maybe they're forced to to look a little bit more at what the drivers are saying rather than just one driver. So maybe that's what's, what's changed. Um, you know, there's obviously a change of... Um, you know, hierarchy in the, in the, in the development side of, of what's going on at Mercedes and a few sort of people being promoted from within, um, you know, James Allison, obviously moving aside a little bit to focus on the, on the boats. So I think that there's a, a number of factors at play. Um, and yeah, I mean, it's all for Toto to manage, isn't it? That's what he's paid to do. It's a slightly awkward position for him because obviously he's a one third owner of the team as well. So, you know, he's, he's got a foot in two camps, but he's obviously got to keep, Ineos and, and, and that side of the business happy and obviously Mercedes-Benz as well. Yeah, absolutely. And of course, I was just reading this morning on social media, Toto Wolf F1 newest billionaire. So uh, Yes, I saw that too. Can't yeah, feel too sorry for old Toto. He's, uh, it's not the no. worst life in the world, is it? <laughs> no, absolutely not. Absolutely not. I don't feel sorry for him at all. No. <laughs> it's, I mean, it's kind of like the old football manager's cliche of having two players vibing out for the same spot. It's not the yeah, worst problem in the world to have. It's a bit of a headache. But um, I mean, regarding, you know, some of those comments, I think the one that was most telling to me was when Hamilton came out and said that the team didn't listen to me in terms of the car concept for this season. Yeah, he, yeah. I don't think he meant, he He said it, but I think he regretted it. Mm. Um, well, he did. He did backtrack on that afterwards, yeah. um, and it was a bit misunderstood. And I can understand the frustration. I think mm. Mercedes acknowledged quite late on in the development of the W14 that this was not the concept to go down, and henceforth have looked to find upgrades or perhaps different concept mm. designs more aligned with what Red Bull were doing to play catch up to them but in the interim of course you've got a driver here who has won everything there is to win in the sport still has that hunger perhaps he just wants that eighth world title that yep. you know he was robbed of a few years ago he, he wants that too so he can yep. just go off and be done with it but at the moment it doesn't seem like Mercedes is the likely candidate to provide that for him and, and even Toto Wolf responding to those original comments said look we want to provide that car for Lewis but if we can't perhaps he needs to look at his options elsewhere I mean for me Ben that is quite telling because I could imagine a scenario a few years ago when Lewis was the top dog in F1 where Mercedes would be clamoring at everything to keep him on I mean the last mm. contract that he signed a couple of years ago post 2021 they would do it they would have done everything to keep him there and yep. now Whilst I feel that this, that hasn't changed too much, I do feel that Mercedes are open or as a provision, seeing what they have in George Russell right now, that they're saying, you know what, we do have options here. If Lewis goes, it's not the worst thing in the world. And to be fair, they might be calling his bluff on it because, I mean, if you look at other teams like potential mm -hmm. suitors for Hamilton, Red Bull, Christian Horner has already said that's not going to happen. We don't have a seat for him over the next few years. I don't see Aston Martin bringing Hamilton in until after Alonso is gone. That won't be for a few years. They're certainly not going to get rid of his son. Lawrence Stroll's certainly not going to get rid of his son. Yeah. Um, and Ferrari, whilst that might be an option, it's Ferrari. Are they going to provide him with a championship car? Right now, they've got their own battle to keep Leclerc long-term for the same reason. So you'd almost argue that the ball is very much in Mercedes' court in terms of how they deal with this. 
absolutely. Yeah, I mean, you know, and and also that they won't be held to ransom if Lewis is demanding, you know, silly money, which I don't believe he is. But if he were to be that way inclined, I think that they would also have a position to turn around and say, sorry, mate, you're not worth it. You know, you may have won all these titles, all these races, but the fact remains, George is doing very well. You're now 38. I don't know how long you can go on and keep delivering. You know, I have no doubt that they want to keep him and they, they will do everything they can to keep him, but the deal has to be right for both parties. And I think that's obviously where we are at the moment. Lewis is playing the long game. He understands that he can be an ambassador ambassador for Mercedes for the rest of his life. And he's quite happy to play that role. Um, you know, and I think that he has such a good relationship with, with Toto that, you know, that's not in jeopardy. Um, but what is in jeopardy is them sort of running this contract down, gets closer to the end of the year. And then I do believe that they'll be testing testing the resolve of other other drivers. I mean, that's only, only natural, isn't it? That they start looking at, you know, They've got Mick Schumacher as a reserve. I don't envisage him being given a seat ahead of Lewis, but you never know what's going to happen, do you? I mean, if, if if they can't agree terms with Lewis, they may well be forced to look at other options. Um, you know, whether they look at Lando, something like that, I don't know. They may test the, the contract that he has in with McLaren. But if I was Lewis, I'd be looking to get that contract done. Um, you know, get get it done, get it out of the way, stop all the questions, focus on the rest of this year, but with a view. It's coming back stronger next year and hopefully winning the title next year. I mean, are you surprised by Mercedes' apparent stance on this? Because, I mean, I read something this no, morning at the time no, of I'm recording. And, no, I'm, um, not, I, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not surprised because I think that they have such a good understanding with Lewis and an open relationship with Lewis that they're not afraid of him going anywhere else. So actually the ball is in their court. It's up to them to come to terms with him and, and, and offer him terms. But by the same token... They have, or Toto has a responsibility to the other board members to investigate all the options open to Mercedes. So if you can get a young upcoming driver for a fraction of the cost of a, another driver, then you need to explore that, don't you? And then you obviously put it on the table and say, we could get this guy for X and then, or we could keep this guy for X. And ultimately, although he's in control of the team, he's still only one third of that that equation so it depends on what the other guys say as well yeah absolutely I mean I, I was just referring to comments I think I read an article this morning that Total Wolf had actually admitted that Lewis uh, had a different idea for the W14 compared to the team they, they wanted to continue with the zero pods concept obviously they want to abandon that I don't know if they're going to get rid of that entirety but mm-hmm. it does feel that Mercedes have acknowledged they were wrong in what they went with in terms yeah. of a performance. And we don't know what Sir Lewis would have suggested, but we could probably take a stab at it and say, well, it may have been better than what Mercedes wanted, even if he's not an expert on how to design an F1 car. And as you mentioned with James Allison moving towards boat racing in particular, and mm-hmm. you know, some stories saying he might be back to some capacity to help yeah. with that. It, it does feel right now that there is a contrast in... Uh, in terms of opinions of the team and driver for me I yes. wonder what he has to do what Lewis has to do is a, signing a new contract extension enough to at least retain the control that he currently has in the team or do you feel that even if he does that it's still going to shift towards George Russell who right now is asserting himself as the future of the team yeah I don't, I don't think that Lewis needs to sign a contract in order them for them to listen to him I think that they do listen to him and it's always easy to say after the event, I told you this was wrong. You know, if it would have carried on and it would have been good, then everyone would have said, oh, yeah, see, I knew it was right. It's it's always, you know, the better, you know, 
you kind of you can't lose, can you, in this scenario by saying such a thing? Um, I just do believe that Mercedes were blindsided by uh, engineering pride. I think that they came out with that zero side pod, side pod concept and thought that it looked so good uh, that they just carried on with it. And obviously, in the tail end of last year, they you know they outscored Ferrari and, and were making progress. And George won, and it looked like there were some legs in that car. Um, but of course, they had all that. And also, I think the noise coming out over the winter, the two things, there was like, um, you know, Mercedes at launch were kind of very proud, almost bullish that, you know, this car looks great. And f- as far as we can, can tell, you know, the porpoising's gone and it's very quick. And they just weren't aware of just how quick that Red Bull was. I think that's the big issue. And it's a big issue for everyone. Um, but I think that's what caught them out. The fact that they were so far behind... Had it been a smaller gap, I have no doubt that they would have carried on and thought, okay, maybe we'll give this another couple more months before we, we bin it. But the other element was that at launch, um, Toto had mentioned a B concept as well, which I was only alerted to, um, you know, the other day. I didn't see it myself, but he he mentioned the B concept, and that was, you know, that should have been alarm bells for anyone that heard that quote at the time that maybe they were thinking, oh, maybe this car isn't the right for us and that we should have gone down a different route, but we had invested so much time and and uh, money in this direction that we can't stop yet and that we have got this other idea going on, but we're just not sure yet. We're going to see what happens at the first couple of races and then we'll make a decision. But, of course, it happened after one qualifying session. So I guess you could say the good thing was that, you know, he cut his losses early on and that allowed them to make a decision um, going forward, which will allow them, you know, less time to to catch up. I think if they would have carried on in the wrong area, then then it would have been a mess, and they could have quite easily tumbled much further back. Um, but I don't know. I mean, you never know, do you? I mean, look at look at last weekend. You know, I, I watched qualifying, and I thought, Christ, this is looking really bad for for Mercedes and, and McLaren at one point, and then you get to Sunday, and everything's good for both those two teams. So uh, apart from the engine blow for George, but um, you never know. It could turn around again in Baku and uh, we could be thinking, well, maybe we should stick with this car. But uh, I don't think they will. I think they've, they've made their mind up with it now. Yeah, I mean, it's all relative. And whilst the allure of P2 this season might be, you know, the, the, the prize, I suppose, for the likes of Mercedes and Ferrari that they can hope to get. Ultimately, neither of them want to be in P2. They want to win especially Mercedes and you know like McLaren Mercedes have acknowledged there is issues with their car and they need to change something a little bit later mind you so obviously I have to wait and see how that works out for McLaren um it's a lot for Sir Lewis Hamilton to have to handle at this point it doesn't seem like Mm. an easy solution I suppose the best thing he can do is you know support the process of what's going on right now just get his head down and just get on with it like he did last year and hopefully he can wrestle back some of that control that George to some degree has taken from him in terms of the overall balance of power in the team if you're George Russell what do you think he needs to do right now because you know despite the retirement in Australia and obviously having that deficit to his teammate Mm. everything that he's doing right now seems to be what Mercedes need from a driver that's going to be a future of the team because I said before Mercedes don't want George Russell to be like Valtteri 2.0 pardon the pun they want him to be the next Sir Lewis Hamilton he may not be ever as good as Sir Lewis Hamilton but if he can prove to Mercedes that he can handle being on that mantle and being the guy that drives decisions and have the results and the talent to back it up that's what they want from him in the future what does he need to do to become that 
or is he already there? I think he's pretty much there, isn't he? I think from a team perspective, I think the fact that I've kind of flagged it up and others have mentioned it as well, the relationship, I think that George needs a couple of clean races um, where he delivers points, but also needs to stay out of any potential row or discussion with Lewis at all. I think that that's really what he needs to do. If he can deliver some some podiums and a win, that was obviously great for him. Um, but he really needs sort of a low friction um, couple of races with Lewis for this to whole settle down and then it just to slip back into the aren't they working great together narrative. That's what he would need to achieve. That's what Mercedes want to achieve. I obviously want to see totally opposite. I don't want to see them at war because it's a great story and quite good fun. But, um, you know, I think you asked me what George needs to do and he's just got to keep it clean. Yeah, absolutely. And I think what's going to be fun with this story, however it develops this season, is that we have an established driver like Sir Lewis Hamilton, which has an incredible rock-hard mentality that's been there and done it all before. So we know what he needs to do. That being said, I don't think he's ever gone up against a driver with the level of mentality of George Russell. And that is going to be telling, given how hungry George Russell is going to be at becoming the next top dog at Mercedes. So I'm looking forward to how that goes. Like you say... um, Part of me kind of wants that to develop into a bit of an inter-team all-out war to some degree, just for the yep. entertainment. But I think that's probably on the balance of the fact that in terms of the competitive side of things, unless something crazy happens, Max Verstappen's going to be a three-time world champion and we may have to look elsewhere on the grid to find where the excitement's going to be. Absolutely. Yep. Yeah. yeah, I agree. But no, I think that was brilliant. Obviously, guys, let us know if you are watching this on YouTube. Let us know in the comment section your thoughts on what Ben and I have just discussed on the developing story between Sir Lewis Hamilton and George Russell at Mercedes. How do you think that's going to go down? Uh, what do you think is going to happen? And will Sir Lewis Hamilton stay with Mercedes beyond 2023? We'll have to wait and see. As always, make sure to subscribe to the channel if you're new, like the video, and don't forget to support us on your favourite pod platform with a five-star review. We'll read out the best ones on future episodes. But until then, guys, um, also, actually, forgot to mention, make sure to check out the Inside Piranha Club. Another plug again, in case you forgot, Ben. And Thank Beck you very Clancy. much. Great insight, great coverage on the races so far this season and hoping for plenty more great content from you guys in the future. Looking forward Thank to you. it. Thank you, yeah. It's not, it's not on, on video, so we're not on YouTube, so you don't get to see my glorious sunshine and burning my, burning my face to pieces. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, standard old school podcast, I'm afraid. No, a problem. I th- do you know what? I think that is something that, the nostalgics will certainly appreciate because uh, <laughs> the whole point of a podcast is something you can just plug in, you go about your business and do that. You don't necessarily have to watch it. So no, you keep doing that, Ben. It's uh, all good stuff. But if you want to see more of Ben in all different kinds of brightnesses and contrast, um, then tell him to do some video content and uh, we might see that in the future. But guys, uh, until next time, hope you guys are doing well and keeping yourself entertained in the interlow. Obviously, Baku, not too far away, still a few weeks away. So we'll have to wait until the F1 returns to our screens. But until then, guys, thanks for tuning in. Please stay safe as always. And we'll see you in the next episode of the DNF1 F1 podcast. And remember, as always, if you're not first, you're probably DNF1. Take care. Sports Social Podcast Network.